Welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we've read about repressed people in love so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Corinne by Rebecca Morrow. Joining us to discuss this book that Stephanie Meyer did not write Mm. is Margaret H. Willison, one third of the now whimsically named Two Bossy Dames newsletter and communications manager for Not Sorry Productions. Welcome back, Margaret. Hello, you guys. I'm so excited to be here to talk a book, talk about a book I really loved. This a is book a- not written by a member of the Hollis family. Exactly. It's, true. it's such a nice and welcome change. Like, thank you. I I think in all the times you've been on here, I don't think we've ever had you on to talk about a good book before. No, uh, you certainly me, haven't. Excuse me, Model Land. Excuse I'm- me. <laughs> <laughs> you've definitely had me on to talk about unique books before. Like Model Land. <laughs> what a polite way to put that. <laughs> I, I would call it a sexy, unique book, <laughs> personally. <laughs> this does remind me that if either of you, once we're done with this, wants to explain the full scandal val to me, like, I'd be really into it. You know it's not going to be Kate. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Uh, but for now, let's talk about Corinne. And first sure. of all, even at the end of our last episode about it ends with us, when we mentioned this, our guest Vanessa was like, that's not a bad book. And we were like, <laughs> no, we know. Um, well, actually, maybe Kate doesn't know. It turns out. But <laughs> I know. And uh, the reason we are talking about this, and this was this was a requested thing for us to cover because... If you haven't heard about this, there was a a little flutter on the internet last year where I think it started on Reddit and then spread to Book Talk. Yes. If it went the other, I don't care. No, Um, it definitely went that way. I'm pretty sure it went that way. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So the book in the author bio for Rebecca Morrow, it just says like, is a pseudonym for a New York Times bestselling author. And so some fool on Reddit was like, I'm pretty sure Stephanie Meyer wrote this. And then a bunch of a bunch of fools and buffoons who mm-hmm. either didn't read this book, didn't read Twilight, did have no reading comprehension skill. I don't know what the problem I is think here, but charitably, were- I would say it was a bunch of people who really like Twilight and really like Stephanie Meyer's books. Also reading this book. And liking it, and then really inaccurately deciding that that meant they were in any notable way similar, especially in terms of how they were written. But I I think you are being charitable because a lot of these comments are like, oh, yeah, because you can tell it's Twilight because she's constantly sighing and like, you know, like they were like annoyed and they were like pointing out like annoying things that they think both Stephanie Meyer and Rebecca Morrow do. My favorite one was when they were like, they mentioned his hair color. You know, Stephanie Meyer (laughs) loves to mention hair color. And I was like, yeah, also, that's like a general. Oh, the whole. I'm annoyed. Anyway, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do think the first, um, the first post maybe was positive, but then a lot of people were jumping on it in a negative way. Right. Well, as soon as you mentioned Stephanie Meyer, you know the wolves come out. Yes. Yes. The yeah. The shifters. Yeah, exactly. All exactly. Thank you, for, <laughs> thank you for picking up what I was putting down. <laughs> yes. And so I think some of the main evidence that holds water is that this book, and we'll get into it. This book is about. 
members of of an unnamed fundamentalist Christian sect. And of course, mm-hmm. Stephanie Meyer, as we know, is a Latter Day Saint, aka Mormon. And these characters is not is different. They're not Mormon. It's different. And it's different from any real church because it is sort of like blurred lines, but it is. It, <laughs> Sorry. It's not, it's not like that blurred lines, um, but it's, uh, you know. Right. Well, okay. We can get into the religion of these characters. These people do not know they want it and they're not supposed to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. Some other evidence. One of the biggest evidence pieces that came up is that at one point, the main character, Corinne, thinks that she has imprinted on her high school love interest. People are like, ah, imprinting. And I'm like, <laughs> Stephanie Meyer didn't invent imprinting. No. Anna Paquin invented imprinting. <laughs> and Anna Paquin didn't write this book either. She's too busy. And she's not uh, already a New York Times bestseller. She's not already, yeah. That I know of. Yeah. Another person thinks it might be Ellen Hildebrand. And I've actually never read an Ellen Hildebrand book, but I think Ellen Hildebrand is too East Coast elite to have written this yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah. Ellen Hildebrand, the the casserole descriptions in this book are so Midwestern. <laughs> Ellen, although I was looking into it, Ellen Hildebrand did attend the yes, Iowa Writers exactly Workshop. Yes, exactly what I was about to say. So yeah. maybe you could have picked it up, but I don't know. This reads like someone who like grew up in the casserole belt. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that as someone who grew up in the casserole belt. Sure, I can, sure. I can say that. Ellen Hildebrand did write an online story once about another girl named Corinne, Mm-mm. but Mm, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I feel like there was like a a spate of just naming like any Mormon writer. So I feel like yeah. Shannon Hale's name got thrown around some. Yeah, it's absolutely not Shannon Hale. Yeah, <laughs> and Shannon Hale at least like publicly denied it. And yes, it's just I've read Shannon Hale books, and eh, that's not her. Yeah, I've never read any of her adult books, but like I've read I think all of her books for middle grade readers, and it did not. It did not ping me for her. <laughs> no. Yeah. The rumor that does make sense to me is is one Rainbow Rowell. And I, I understand if you have to sit this one out, Margaret. But <laughs> yeah. as, as a friend of the rainbow. But uh, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. I buy it. I will say that the one thing a lot of people were like, she's secretly Mormon. I just do want to let the record reflect. Rainbow is not Mormon. <laughs> and never grew right. up Mormon. Just, no. just so everyone knows. But she is Midwestern. Extremely, yes. She's she's unequivocally Midwestern. Uh, she definitely grew up in the casserole belt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In fact, one of the weirdest fights she and I ever had online was about whether or not Ohio was part of the Midwest. Uh, that That is a controversial topic. It is. I had no idea as a Northeasterner that it was yeah. controversial. I was just yeah. like, demonstrably... It's part of the Midwest. Like, here's yeah. a map showing it's in the Midwest. I didn't realize that there were, like, you know, ideological lines between, like, the real Midwest and sort of the, like, Mideast is maybe a more accurate way to describe some of that stuff. I was just going to say, I a friend of mine from California was like, oh, I didn't. I didn't think Illinois was the Midwest. And I was like, Illinois is extremely the Midwest. What are you talking about? <laughs> and then she like pulled up a map and was like, look, these states are are the Midwest, like pointing mm-hmm. out she was pointing out like the mountain states. And she was like, right. you guys are the 
you guys are the Middle East. And I was like, nope, <laughs> <laughs> you can't call it that. That's taken. <laughs> It sounds yeah. like I am unfamiliar with this argument, but it does ring true to me as someone from Jersey as the fights that we get into there about whether or not Central Jersey exists. <laughs> so, and it does. I'm from North Jersey, but it does. <laughs> Good to know. Okay. And I will say also, I think we should dive into the book itself soon, but uh, Margaret. I read this book a while ago. I reread it for the podcast. Um, in fact, I have text evidence. I finished or no, I started reading it on September 13th last year and I texted Margaret about it because mm-hmm. you, Margaret, you have been championing this book. You know, you yes. kept posting about how good it was. And then also I was reading and people were like tweeting, discording us like, oh, did Stephanie Meyer write this? What do you guys think? And I was like, well, I got to read that. <laughs> and then I texted you. Mm-hmm. Just want to say, I started reading Corinne, and it's definitely too intentionally funny and self-aware to be the work of <laughs> Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> and you were back, haha! I agree. Thank you. Yes. And then I said, also, Stephanie Meyer would not write lovingly about fat characters. <laughs> and you wrote, I hadn't even thought of that, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So those, I think, I upon reread, I still stand by those, and there's some other stuff as well. But I, it's, it's not. It's definitely not Stephanie Meyer. Yeah. I'm actually really, really bad at the, like, this person's writing is like, that person's writing. And, like, if it's good writing, I don't necessarily feel like they're, like, I don't notice the tells. But that's just the thing. It's like Stephanie Meyer's writing isn't good in my eyes. And so mm-hmm. I do notice the tells. Uh, and and I, ne- I never wanted to throw this book across the room. So I just feel like it's not her. Yeah. Okay, but why don't we start getting into what this book is? Sure. And I just want to in- say before oh. we start, though, because Renata alluded to this, but uh, I respect you both. I can recognize that this is a good book. I can recognize that this is a book of quality. Um, sure. I found it deeply boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, and here's the thing, Kate. First of all, as we all know, you hate straight people. And I do problems, hate so straight people, yeah. You could, yeah. So this is a challenge for you. Um, second of all, it is sort of boring in a way that I liked. I, I think we've read other books where I'm like, oh, this has fan fiction vibes. And, <laughs> which, again, is another reason why I kind of think Rainbow Rowell maybe wrote this. Because her <laughs> books can have fan fiction vibes in that way, too. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, it's not plot heavy. It's character heavy. It's a lot of like sitting around like thinking my thoughts pining my pines thinking about interior decoration admiring (laughs) interior decoration of someone else's home feeling emotionally conflicted about that interior decoration yeah like a lot of that in a way where yeah not a lot happens but if you get invested in the characters as i did i'm like yeah, go off, Corinne. Like, tell me more. Tell me more about the quilts. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, like, honestly, like, the interior decoration stuff was maybe my favorite part, uh, <laughs> unsurprisingly. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just, like, I just don't – I never cared about – I like Corinne. I did not want her to come back. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I, I wanted her to live a cool, fun life somewhere else and not be dragged back into this. Sure. And I just never – she never made me care about Enoch like never so instead it was just like you know 12 hours of listening to a woman 
make bad, oh. it, in my opinion, bad choices. <laughs> I also have to say, like, I've listened to a little bit of the audiobook. The audiobook reader is not great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, but I, like, I, because I have to listen to audiobooks, like. No, I know, you're, I'm, I'm not thinking, I'm not yeah. thinking you're digging, but I'm, I'm mostly just thinking, like, wow, that must have been, that must have been painful. Yeah. Well, and I said 12 hours. That's how long the book was, I think. But I listened to it at, you know, two. So it was like six hours. But sure. Still. Yeah. Like a number I of hours. Like- so <clears throat> basically, you just want to read the version of Corinne where she like goes to Boston for college and then just stays in Boston. Yeah. And you just hang out with her having her life as like a cool advertising savant in Boston. Yeah, she makes cool friends and, yeah. and like you know, maybe, maybe she figures has a gay out awakening. Funny. Exactly. Yeah. I would read that book. This well, maybe you should was... write that fan fiction. Yeah. I guess. I don't yeah. I was just listening to it. And like normally even, you know, my roommates will wander in while I'm listening to a book and be like, holy shit, what are you listening to? And then I have to tell <laughs> them. Um and this time like there was just no even no commentary from them. Because, like, it wasn't – nothing that was ever happening was – Well, it wasn't embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's oh, – well, it's – I mean, they know. They know about the podcast. They obviously – Sure, sure. But, like, it was just like, oh, like, this is certainly a book where none of the words that people are saying are – capture me. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. So, it was, like – it was – is. It was fine. It was good quality wise. It was probably better than reading another Colleen Hoover book. Definitely better than reading another Colleen Hoover <laughs> whoa, book. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Definitely better. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So th- the book, it's in two parts. Part one starts in 1992 uh, with Corinne, who is definitely a not not listening to Nirvana, not experiencing <laughs> the pop culture of 1992. No. Okay, the first line of this I think is good. All the, all the good Bible names must have been taken when Enoch Miller was born. And then there's like an extended riff on why Enoch is a bad name. And you know what? She's <laughs> it's right. Really funny. She's right. And she should say it. Yeah. yeah. Corinne is at church in the, at the opening of the book because she uh, belongs to a very conservative, as Renata said, unnamed Christian sect. Uh, a very like wives must obey their husbands and wear skirts all the time and not have any, you know, thoughts except for furthering the word of Jesus and serving the men of the church. Yeah. And by the way, to me, as as someone with a Jehovah's Witness branch in my family, it felt <laughs> more it felt more Joho than than Momo. But that is what other Jehovah's Witnesses I've known have said. Yeah. And I don't think it feels especially Mormon because Mormon is actually people who are not familiar with the church don't always know a lot more cosmopolitan. Yeah. Um, yeah. Partly because they like this is one of the reasons why um, Mitt Romney like is actually right on like some things like immigration um, because like they're really, really intense about adopting internationally, which has its own complicated issues. Issues. Yeah. Right. But it does mean that they're a little bit more outward facing. And so often they're also in cities where like they're the dominant faith. So they yeah, can be a little they, bit they more can, freewheeling. They can, be a, they can be a real housewife. Exactly. Exactly. And also the like the tenets of the Mormon church are so specifically different than <laughs> like larger, like just the whole structure because of the way that it became an offshoot of Christianity. Not to dive deep into like a weird... <laughs> But like it, it, 
Mormonism is, and I think that's why it's so fascinating to a lot of people from the outside, is that it's like wildly different than a lot of other sects of Christianity. Yeah. And this mm-hmm. just feels like boilerplate, like conservative Christian cult, not yeah. with any of the specifics yeah. of Mormonism. Just like wicked, intense evangelical Christianity. Yes. Yeah. Not like almost Scientology, but there's still Jesus. <laughs> yeah. But so uh, Enoch Miller, who we get Corinne's, you know, name shaming about at the beginning, uh, is one of the the son of uh, the late one of the late elders of the church. He's her age. Um, you know, he is basically like the golden boy of this church. And Corinne's family is less well off. Uh, they're recent converts. They were not born and raised in the church, but uh, Enoch's mother converted Corinne's mother by giving her a chick tract in yeah. an arc, essentially. Yeah. Hang on. I've pulled so many quotes from this just because I loved the lines. Okay. Corinne's mom was the sort of person who was just waiting for someone to hand her a Bible tract, <laughs> gagging for it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that uh, Corinne does not particularly feel any faith. She's not interested in the church, but she is a quote unquote good girl who does what her parents say for the most part. Um, so she's just like, yeah, I guess this is my life being in the church now. You know, she at her old high school or at her high school at this point, it's still her current high school. You know, she took the ACT, uh, but she knows that she's not going to college because that's not what Christian girls in their particular sect do. (laughs) Um, you know, she, all she has to look forward to is being a wife to someone else in the congregation, except that she is chubby. Yeah, she's fat. She doesn't, in a way that she doesn't love about herself. Yeah. She dresses very dumpy. Like, also, they're poor, so she only owns two sweaters, and they're, like, too big. She dresses, like, very frumpy. She doesn't feel good about it. Yeah, she feels very plain next to the other girls Mm. in the church. You know, she doesn't, she's not friends with any of them, so she doesn't feel like she's, like, gotten in that will you know, open her, open other avenues to her. Like, this is just, she has settled into the fact that this is her life. Mm-hmm. And then her father leaves and her mother, normally her, when her, well, her, normally when her father leaves, he comes back after a little while, but it's been a few months and he hasn't come back. And uh, they're being evicted from their home. So... Her mother, who is very good friends, as we said, with Enoch's mother, uh, goes to the church and Enoch's family agrees to take Corinne and her siblings and her mother in so that they're not homeless while they figure out what to do next. And suddenly she is living in Enoch Miller's basement, uh, sleeping on an air mattress with her siblings and her mom and around Enoch all of the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a real different vibe. Yes. It's a different vibe. By the way, okay. So earlier I alluded to this book, like loving fat bodies. I will say <laughs> in, in the 1992 era, Corinne's not really there yet, um, but we'll get there. Yeah. Um, but also, <laughs> the way that she, she's, Enoch Miller is a big boy. And the way that she's describing his body, like it is, it is funny. Um, 
a quote that I have pulled is, imagine a rectangle with legs crammed into a brown <laughs> suit, which is, I believe, exactly how we described Adam Driver when we read The Love <laughs> Hypothesis. You're correct. Um, and looking uh, at the document, I, I will say this. Like, there were things about this book that I did like, and one of them is in the the this section, the teenage section. Corinne is like, everyone is like, no one will stop you from taking a bathroom break at church, but you're only supposed to take maybe one. But Corinne has worked out a system where she can take two. And the second one <laughs> she takes in the basement bathroom where no one else goes so she can hang out there as long as she wants. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like there's a lot of just like very relatable little details. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Corinne, one of the things that is going that goes on at Enoch Miller's house is that they have a Saturday night Bible study. So Enoch is dating the most, you know, eligible bachelor, bachelorette in mm-hmm. the the teenage congregation, this girl named Shannon. Um, and of course she is a mean girl bitch <laughs> and beautiful. And, and very beautiful, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, So on Saturday nights, Enoch will come home from having a date with Shannon's family, and then the whole family will gather and do Bible study, and Enoch will lead it. And uh, after a few weeks of Shannon and her family, or Shannon, Corinne and her family living with the Millers, um, the Millers invite them up to join Bible study. And Corinne can't help but notice that, like, Enoch's really great with Bible study. He's a really great – he'll be a really great elder one day because, you know, he tailors his questions to each person who he asks them to. You know, he comes up with roles that, like, specifically will mesh well with, like, the ages and the, you know, types of of kids in their families who are there. And then after Bible study, they – the kids have started hanging out and it starts when Enoch's younger brother who has a Nintendo gets legend of Zelda. And <laughs> while the kids, the little kids are playing the video game, Enoch and Corinne start playing board games, which was something they did when they were kids, combining the different boards of board games together to create like super monopoly yeah like <laughs> these franken so games much more, like this this yeah. massive franken game of like every game in the game covered yeah we're all like combined and taped together yeah and they have to leave it out they can't put it away anymore like it's always up in the living room because it's too elaborate to like take down and it's like an endless game where you never like win or finish it the point is like <laughs> just to play it and to like keep adding more rules to it yeah, they have they have like, you know, mousetrap is there and they had to glue some of the mousetrap pieces together to keep it like stable enough for assembly and Yahtzee and, you know, Candyland. Sometimes and- like you have, yeah, you have to answer a Trivial Pursuit question to buy a house. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's like very, it's wild. So uh, Corinne starts looking forward to these nights and then during these nights, Enoch starts underneath the table very subtly holding her hand and as a good christian girl from this particular church this is forbidden like Mm -hmm. hand holding is forbidden and also enoch is dating someone else i think it's only forbidden because he's dating someone else okay but but well it's it's forbidden to be without a chaperone yes that's like a a and you know a, a a man of dating age a woman of dating age without a chaperone and corinne mentions that like at first the moms stay up with them and then they start going to bed and leaving them and corinne's like oh it's because they think we're like i'm too much of a loser to like count basically right. yeah yeah 
So they start holding hands and they start sitting closer to each other. And then one night after the boys, the little boys go away to, you know, go to bed to get ready for bed, Enoch kisses her. And then kissing after the younger boys go to bed becomes like their thing uh, right up until one night when the kissing goes further and they have sex on the couch. Mm-hmm. And Corinne is like, holy shit, like this is this is got, wild. Yeah, this whole thing is wild. Like she has these feelings about... Enoch and he's like all this stuff. He's broken up with Shannon at this point. Did they break up? I can't remember now. No. 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 Okay. Oh, he just he just skipped date night with her to do Bible study a couple times. That's right. And, you know, she and and Enoch are living with this secret. Uh, right up until Enoch confesses to the church elders that he has done this, which Corinne finds out when she leaves school to see her mother standing outside. And her mother immediately slaps her. Yeah. 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 So Corinne is excommunicated from the sect. She is shunned by her family. And we don't even really know that because then it like it part one sort of ends with the slapping. And then we like cut forward to part two, which is in 2005. So we've had a pretty big time jump. Mm -hmm. And and then in in 2005, Corinne is tentatively back home. Yeah. um, her mother has had a heart attack or a cancer scare. Heart attack. Heart attack. And uh, it made her want to reach out to Corinne and, you know, tentatively reestablish a relationship. Corinne, after being kicked out, we later learn, uh, went to school and lived in Boston for many years and, <laughs> you know, was out of contact with her family and then, you know, has has been invited back to the fold. So she's moved back to her hometown and is starting to go around to see her family again. And then one night they're having dinner at her mother's house and her brother, Sean brings a guest to dinner and it's Enoch who is there uh, because he's been adrift since his divorce from Shannon. Divorce? He's divorced. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he had to give up his position as an elder in the church Mm-hmm. And now he's it's back. huge. It's all huge. It's it's earth shattering. Yes. Well, and and Sean's wife Alicia is sort of a major player in the 2005 era. Sean's She's wife, also, Alicia, like my favorite character in the book. <laughs> Alicia rules. Alicia grew up in like a slightly less conservative um what is congregation. it congregation congregation I was gonna say district and that's not it yeah uh. <laughs> Just, yeah, a slightly less conservative congregation of the same basic church. So she is a little bit more chill and she sort of has like chilled out Sean as well. Um, and also the whole family is in a, is in a slightly different congregation as well. I think a, th- a third one. Anyway. Mm-mm. No, they're in Alicia's original church. No, no, no. I think I think it is maybe the same church, but like the elders mm-hmm. have aged out and like different elders are in place and just like everybody's filled out okay cool yeah 2005 just like a slightly more chill time for for our country (laughs) i guess uh anyway so enoch comes and um corinna's still mad and like just doesn't want to talk to him but 
so she kind of like tries to avoid him but he gives her his business card and is like we should talk sometime (laughs) and uh alicia and sean are like oh my god well alicia's like oh my gosh i invited him i'm so sorry i didn't realize you had this history with him and like so sorry and they they explain about the divorce and stuff Mm -hmm. and they say he's had a real tough time and here's here's a quote from corinne's point of view Enoch Miller's had a real tough time. <laughs> well, so what? So had Corinne. <laughs> and then this is where Corinne reflects and we get more of like what happened in 1992 when um, the last time she saw him before this was right before their meetings with the elders and he, she'd seen him leaving and she'd been called in and, you know, him confessing this without even like telling her he was going to do it. It was like really like, blew everything up for her and her family he really fucked her over twice if you think about it (laughs) yeah Yeah, he really did yeah um so corinne gives enoch a call and they go out to breakfast together by the way this is another midwestern detail they go to the village inn Mm. I would love to go to the village in. I had wondered when they said that if that was like a a thing because the way she says it, she doesn't even describe like <laughs> anything about it. She just drops that name, and I was like, I wonder if this is like an institution or something. <laughs> like, is this like a local a, institution that I don't it's know kind about? Of like a midwestern, like Denny's type of okay. place. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a chain, but like a Midwestern chain. Yeah. <laughs> um. So they they meet, and it's like a big public place. So she's like, ah, like this is probably just his, like him doing penance for what he did to I, me. Sorry. Here's another quote. Enoch Miller was going to apologize to her at a village inn for <laughs> taking her virginity and for pushing her out of God's embrace. <laughs> It and is- he does. <laughs> yeah, she's on time. Yeah, actually, like, at first he doesn't even apologize. Like, he's just like, I just wanted to catch up. And she's like, oh, I thought you were going to apologize. And he's like, mm. oh, you mm. thought I needed to apologize? And it's kind of awkward. Yeah. Um. So they start going on walks. Um. He takes her, you know, they, they go on a walk at, like, a park near them and kind of catch each other up on their lives and one of the bombs that Enoch drops is that the reason that he and Shannon got divorced is because Shannon realized she was a lesbian and uh and here's a quote Shannon Frank is a lesbian was that why she was such a bitch what no I don't think so (laughs) uh this book says bitchy lesbian rights go off (laughs) Um, as a doormat lesbian I can't relate but I do appreciate it (laughs) and he talks about how like because he's in this like less strict congregation like he and shannon used to go to concerts together and they would like he listens to to regular music that's not religious and you know watches movies and does all these things that they didn't used to be able to do uh when they were under their old like strict church and this is oh, I did also find this part amusing. He talks about like the different bands he went to go see and mentions Ani DeFranco and a couple other people that like is very much like, ah yes, your lesbian wife took you too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Indigo Girls. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, it's pretty charming. And, you know, he says like, oh, like maybe one day we can go to a concert together because we mm-hmm. both like music. Yeah. And at this point in the book, I just feel like Corinne's giving him the hairy eyeball and I am also giving him the hairy eyeball. I'm like, Enoch Miller, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, what is he doing? Her life. What are you doing? But I know you ended up unmoved by him, Kate, but I really came around on him. <laughs> I feel like... One of the parts where I really came around on him is when he's talking about sort of like how has he navigated his relationship with like um like more worldly music when he's thinking about like basically like Jesus would love John Prine. Like, Jesus <laughs> yeah. would love John Prine. And like what a nice way to think about it. <laughs> yeah. Their church has a thing called conscience matters where <laughs> something is like if it's not completely forbidden but you're it's sort of a gray area they're like well that's a conscience matter and you can like sort of you know pray about it and be like okay well this doesn't bother my conscience to go to a ben folds concert so it's a conscience <laughs> matter and i'm gonna do it <laughs> um and uh here's another like fucking killer line i think corinne didn't want to talk to someone who considered talking to her a sin parentheses not someone outside her immediate family. <laughs> um, which two, two, I have two more pieces of evidence for this being Rainbow Rowell. One, the number of parentheses in this book is off the charts, and that does to me speak of a a a charming ADHD writer such as Rainbow Rowell. <laughs> and then uh, also, Enoch is like, wow, like you lived in Boston, like it must have been so interesting. Tell me about it. And uh, Corinne has a line that I feel like is sort of Rainbow Rowell's major life thesis, which is, (laughs) it's not like people in big cities are inherently more interesting. (laughs) But that could be any Midwestern writer. That's true. That's true. And for all I know, it could be Ellen Hildebrand. She's like, you know what? People in big cities aren't more interesting than people who live in Cape Cod. Nantucket. (laughs) Yeah. All her books are on Nantucket. Ugh. That would be, though, if you were if you were Ellen Hildebrand and you wanted to write a book that wasn't yours, it would be really easy to throw people off by just not setting it in Nantucket. <laughs> yeah, true. And again, I haven't read any of her books, so it could it could be, but I just feel like it's not. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, Corinne is spends a lot of time like thinking about Enoch and thinking about you know reconnecting with him. Like they have a picnic, they go on more walks. And then one day when she's out running errands, she decides to pick up flowers for her sister-in-law, Alicia, because Alicia is always doing nice things for her. And she feels bad that she feels like she doesn't really return the gesture as frequently. <laughs> uh, so when she gets to Alicia's, uh, it turns out that Enoch is there and Alicia's like, oh, my God, you should stay for dinner, though, and bullies her into staying for dinner. Adorably. Yes. Alicia adorably into I, Yeah. I love Alicia. She's also Alicia my favorite. And then she makes a, a taco ring out of Again, I'm gonna oh I must describe this to you. Yes. The taco <laughs> ring was made with canned crescent rolls and taco taco fixings. It was terrible and delicious, and Alicia was certain Corinne could make it herself. It was just <laughs> so simple. And then for dessert, she makes banana split brownies she made them with a brownie mix it was so much easier than it sounded and this alicia is constantly doing these like horrible midwestern like life hack recipes like 
She loves to use canned crescent rolls. She loves to use a box mix and doctor it up. Like, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It's giving, it's giving early, 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 uh, like what was the, what was the woman who had like the husband? God, I, I had the name of that dumb food blog in my head. Ray Drummond. Yes. Oh, the pioneer woman. Thank you. I was coming over to Prairie Home Companion. I was like, that is not, (laughs) that is different. Yeah, Garrison Keillor's current canned crescent roll. <laughs> yeah, delicious. Brother. That was exactly the comparison I was going to make, not to Ray Drummond specifically, but to like the idea. Like she, Alicia just has the most charming of like very early aughts mommy blogger vibes. Where like yeah. before, like you know, not snarky, not like full of herself just very like no like it's so easy and I just want to help you because like you don't even realize how easy it is and like right. I want to impart my wisdom on you because I care about you and I I just and you two so deserve charming. to be able to eat a taco ring yeah oh my god yes, you just horrifying I love it it would be delicious um also, this was funny to me. Alicia's congregation allowed card playing, which wasn't allowed in theirs, which is why they played such fucked up board games. But <laughs> Alicia's congregation didn't allow them to use dice, so they had to use a spinner to play like Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> Just the weirdest stuff. That's the thing that gives it such like good texture. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, uh, they go over and... Corinne's brother is super uncomfortable because he's like, why are we bringing the temptress Jezebel around good man Enoch Miller? (laughs) Uh, Enoch and Alicia are delighted because Alicia can tell they're totally into each other. And she's like, great, he can just marry Corinne and then Corinne will be part of the church again. And he can come back into the church in good standing and like everything's solved. I don't see what the problem here is. And and then then we'll have four people people to play cards with. (laughs) So excited for that. And Corinne is like, wow, I have to get out of here immediately. Like, I'm going to ruin my life again because of Enoch yes. Miller. Yes. And the way, God, this book is so good at just capturing how fucking, like, fraught and heightened everything is. It's, yes. it's similar, I think, to, like, a Regency romance where you're like, oh, God. Yes. Like a hand-holding. Hand the chaperone has stepped out. Like, everything is so heightened for, like, the most minute things. But there's also kind of a countdown clock on her head where she's like, he is escalating this and like he's still in the church and we're taking walks alone in public but then oh my god i'm he asked me to dinner at his house alone like that's a new thing like and it's it's so tense yes and like they start this process when it's reasonable to like walk outside right but it gets increasingly cold this is again somewhere in the midwest and like suddenly there are just days when it's like freezing or freezing rain is coming down and like they know they're not going to get to keep interacting in these ways that are just quote-unquote safe for men and women to interact and she's gonna have to come into his home and then like who knows who knows what their interactions look like under those circumstances yeah but she's basically waiting until she is too sinful for him to interact with again and knowing eventually that it's going to happen. Yeah. And it's painful. Uh, it's painful. He invites her to go see Wilco, which is a perfect 2005 detail. <laughs> yes. Um, 
uh, she's like, wow, your truck's so clean. And he's like, I vacuumed it for you. And she's like, that is romantic. And by the way, Kate, I just want to say that before we took my car to Boonsboro, I vacuumed my car for you. Oh, oh. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. beautiful. It just made me think yeah. that you are a much cleaner person than I am. Um, Not on the regular. Yeah. I, <laughs> uh, I, made a, I made a special effort. I barely cleaned out the backseat of my car when I drove four of our friends to porn, the porn party the other night. So... You're a better friend than I am. That's a shorter distance. Yeah, a way shorter distance. Yes, it is many more people to put in a Prius, though. (laughs) Well, that's on them. Uh, For, I don't know. That's on them for accepting the offer. Having so many friends. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So hard being this pretty and popular. Yeah. Uh, Another, like, really relatable thing about Corinne is that she doesn't cook ever. And Enoch is like what do you eat? And she says, cheese, crackers, hummus. And I'm like, yeah, that's a meal. That's a meal, baby. That's a meal every... Me, Corinne, and Martin Short from Only Murders in the Building. Dips. Dips for dinner. That running gag on Only Murders in the Building with him and Greek Dips is really killer. It's fantastic. What a good show. To to me, it doesn't even register as a joke. I'm just like, yes. He is is correct. <laughs> Anyways, back to this. Back to this. <laughs> back book. to this book. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so they they finally uh, Enoch and Karim finally have to have a discussion about their relationship as teens and their breakup. And you know, Enoch really wants to pursue this with her, but you know, Corinne is wary of a repeat performance of what happened when they were teens. And she, you know, feels very strongly that she doesn't want to go back into the church, but also doesn't want him to resent her for pulling him away from the church. And one of the, they make rules about the relationship and they agree that he has to treat her like a blessing, not a sin. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's so romantic. (laughs) What I love about all of the conversations they have around this is how authentically frustrating they are, right? Yeah. Because it is really just two people with kind of like completely different like value sets, like trying to communicate in some ways. And it's like, in terms of the external expression of their behavior, like there's no conflict. Like Corinne left the church, but she never started being of the world, really. Right. Mm-hmm. She's never really drunk much. She's never done drugs. She's like still got a lot of churchy spirit in her. She still keeps her hair really long. So in a lot of ways to Enoch, it just seems like this is somebody who's waiting to come back into the church. But in fact, this is somebody who's like realized their church was really fucked up. Yes. Right. And he knows the church is really fucked up in some ways because of what happened with Shannon, his wife, who he still has like a really loving and friendly relationship with despite mm-hmm. the fact that, you know she she is gay and he feels like he's not allowed to leave just because it's hard right like he feels like it's his job to sort of stay in there and make it better but he also really feels this profound connection with god that mm-hmm. corinne's kind of been totally alienated from and she wants to have a relationship with her family again Right. And she wants to have a relationship with him. And those two things don't seem possible simultaneously. And he's like, well, it is if you just come back to the church. And she's like, I'm never 
going back to that place that told me I was worthless. Yes. And I, I think too, and I think maybe I don't want to put words in Kate's mouth. I think maybe why I think a lot of this book's success hinges on whether or not you can accept Enoch's like justification. Like he, the church really is like important to him. And like, you know, as me, like I'm atheist, raised atheist, have seen secondhand the damage that Jehovah's Witnessism can like, yeah, <laughs> wreak on a family. Um, like I, I'm like, yeah, like I'm with Corinne. I'm like, just leave. Like, what are you doing? But I, to me, I think I did sort of see, like, no, this is important to him. Like, he really believes this. He's getting something out of this, even as he sees all the things that are bad about it. And it's not just so simple as like well, just go to a different church, you know, just go to a more right. chill church. Like that is not acceptable to him. Well, and that's I not think not acceptable yeah. to him. Like that's not acceptable within their faith. Oh yeah. Right? Like it's not understood. Like, like I think there's some things that Corinne says at various points where like the, it was almost worse to like yes. do Christian wrong. Yeah. Than to be like an atheist. The wrong yeah. church is better than no church is worse than no church. Right, yeah. right. And being like a Christian wrong would be like celebrating Christmas. Right? It would be like yeah. things like that. Right? Things that are like very standard parts of every other Christian faith. This is like we disavow all of that stuff and all of that is like more of an affront than like not worshiping God at all. Yes. And I, you know, there there might be some truth to that about my reaction, Renata. I mean, I do, I am friends with folks not who are in, you know, Christian cults, but who are in, you know, <laughs> other, other, um, other sects of Christianity who, you know, do have like a very, who are, you know, very liberal, open, loving people who are in more right. liberal Christian uh, denominations yeah. and hashtag not all Christians. Yeah, who totally. you know have a relationship with God that I also raised Catholic, lifelong atheist don't understand. <laughs> um, you know, but I think I think that it, it, it's less. It, it just feel felt to me throughout the whole thing that like what Enoch really wanted was to have his cake and eat it too. And I mean, it is what Enoch really wants. Yeah, <laughs> and I, yeah. I just can't ab- abide by that. But I think he comes around, right, to realizing that, like, he can't have that, right? And I think it's sincere. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it is, but it just, you know, it just didn't work for me, which is fine. I can really understand that. That's, I think, why the stuff with, like, John Prine, like, Jesus would love John Prine, is so meaningful to me right because Mm -hmm. it is evidence of this like genuine loving relationship he has with god and and it gives me a sense of sort of like what's the counterbalance here to like staying inside an organization that's like demonstrably fucked yeah like it's to me trying to parse the difference between jesus would love john prine jesus still loves my lesbian wife even though our church says that that's not allowable and then, but also staying in that church. Like, I feel like it's one thing to try and, like, quote unquote, fix a a liberal denomination from the inside. Sure. And to, like, mm-hmm. stay in this, like, incredibly strict Christian cult and say, like, you know, yes, but, like, this is what I believe. You know, it it's, 
it, it's something that I I just struggle to wrap my head around, like the idea that you can be this open and this loving and this have this true understanding of like what what the Bible tries to get across about Jesus that you know he is this accepting loving force that goes right. beyond like you know these strict rules of right and wrong. But then also say like, but I I am still staying with this group that says that he's something completely different than what I believe him personally to be. Yeah, yeah. As a as a person who was likewise raised in a very um like lackadaisical way in re faith Episcopalian, uh, but figured out I could stop going to Sunday school. Figured out I could stop going to church if I looked after the toddlers in Sunday school and mm. uh, paid. Yeah, so, your yeah. girl used to teach CCD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the best scam (laughs) (laughs) anyways it is hard to kind of get my head wrapped around uh but i feel like i come closer to it with this book than i do with anything else i've experienced in this space because i feel like nothing else i've experienced in this space like the end conclusion always is like they leave the shitty church (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i don't know if that's you know i think they do an interesting job here of saying like there's a way you can stay involved with a shitty church like this right and still like not be a hateful person and i agree with you kate that it is maybe like it takes it takes a stretch of belief but i'm willing to stretch that belief yeah <laughs> that's cause I okay because <laughs> i want corinne to be happy yeah <laughs> i don't even remember um, where we are <laughs> The actual well, book now. I mean, the the thing about this book is I'm looking at my notes. Yeah, like, there's, there's a lot of chapters that are just like more more horrible recipes with Alicia, more like <laughs> more walks and conversations about the church and how Enoch is not going to leave it. And then um, they like they have six, and it's like it's. The sex scenes in this are like really remarkable, I think. Because yes, I would agree with you. I think they're very compelling and they are nothing like a sex scene I've read in any other book because they are awkward as hell. Yeah. <laughs> in a way that like real sex is. Yeah. Yeah. I I I liked them, but yeah, they're they're awkward, but at the same time it's like overwhelming how horny they are (laughs) yes well said corinne comes over for like her family has dinner every sunday and she gets to go because she you know she's come back and it gets this like really tightrope dance of like how much they can accept their like worldly sister and how much like she can and can't participate in the family and they sort of like she sort of is like earning bonus points by taking care of her niece because the new parents are just like so sleepy that they're like, fine, whatever. Like this heathen can watch her kid for a while and like <laughs> stuff like that. And then she, one week she goes to family dinner and everyone is like so sad because the congregation quote lost someone. And it turns out it's not that someone died. It's that Enoch quote fell away and he, and it's this really like complicated thing where he went to the elders and was like, I love like a worldly gal, but I'm not mm-hmm. leaving the church. So like he still goes every Sunday and other days, but just like he's an outcast and he just like goes and like listens to the sermon and everyone is like, 
well, I can't talk to you because, like, you'll corrupt me. It's fucked up. Yeah, it's really fucked up. So I feel like this is the scene where it's like, I stop thinking of Enoch as, like, trying to have his cake and eat it, too. Because, like, Enoch is, like, exiling himself from his yeah. cake. Right? Yeah. To have it, too. He it's, goes every week to look at the cake in a bakery case, but he can't eat it. It's just, right, and like, he can't talk to him. It just feels, doesn't matter. We already, we've discussed this already. But, yeah. yeah. It's not enough for you, and that's fair. Yes. Yeah. Um, God, here's here's a like devastating line. Like Corinne is sort of like thinking to herself about the choice that she's going to have to make, and she wrote, "She's it's it is written. You chose Enoch. <laughs> you choose him every time he's presented to you. You choose him even when he's not an option. You write him yeah. in. Oh, God, it's fucking yeah. romantic. It really is romantic. God." Um, although another quote, uh, her friends in Boston, parentheses Kate, her friends in <laughs> college, they'd all say this was a dysfunctional codependent relationship. Unsustainable, probably. But you know what? What's more romantic than that? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> if fiction has taught me anything, what's more romantic than a dysfunctional codependent relationship? Yeah. And all of this stuff is it's just like there's such there's such interesting gradients of just sort of like watching these human beings interact around this like sort of like nightmarish thing, which is the church. And so there's the relationship she has with her like strictest sister-in-law, who's also the mom of the like brand new baby. Yeah. And she's going over and she's helping out. And at first it's sort of like, I'll just allow it. But then Mercy starts to get like really attached to her and like really care about her and like she's showing up for her in a moment when like nobody else is and you can see that she knows Corinne is dating someone right mm -hmm. and she keeps it secret right like she finds out things that could lead to Corinne being exiled from her family again and she like doesn't tell and stuff yeah, like, like that she, <laughs> she walks in and in here's the tail end of a conversation Corinne is having on her cell phone with Enoch and it's it's not clear that it's Enoch. It's clear that it's some sort of boyfriend. Right. And just has, like, a very human and, like, loving conversation with her. And then, like, keeps it secret. And it's also around this point in time that Shannon Frank becomes aware of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And she has some feelings about it. Uh, because although she is gay, she wasn't necessarily ready to have Enoch stop being her husband. Um, but then she also has a lot of feelings about it when Corinne and Enoch... I'm just going to jump ahead. Before you do that, I have one more thing that I want to say. Great. Which okay. Is Great. That when Corinne and Enoch get discovered in their relationship, it's because they go on a date to Dairy Queen. And I was like, <laughs> oh, God, I would murder Dairy Queen right now. Um, <laughs> a, a treat from Dairy Queen. I would murder it by eating it quickly. I would not, like, murder the stuff of a Dairy Queen, just to be clear. Huh, um, I, I guess, are there Dairy Queens up here? I don't think I've ever noticed. There are sometimes. Oh, okay. There are, there's far away. There's... There's one by Salisbury Beach that I always stop at when I go to the beach. And then it's like <laughs> the best. It's like the best to have Dairy Queen soft serve and go to the fucking beach. Wow. But yeah, there's not any like near. I near, wouldn't know near. anymore. Uh, wow. They have, you could get a Mr. Misty, Kate. It's not, there's just, it's, soft serve ice cream was my favorite ice cream. And oh, it's just so hard yeah. to find vegan soft serve, which is why yeah. I fucking live at this one ice cream place on the Cape whenever I'm visiting Nicole and Christine <laughs> on the summer. Yeah. Anyway. 
Anyway, Corinne and Enoch are blessed to with lactose tolerance. Yeah. Dairy Queen. Um, but then Sean and Alicia see them because everyone this town goes to Dairy Queen. Of course yeah. they do. Everyone. I uh, feel like whenever there's a Dairy Queen in the town, everyone in town goes to the Dairy Queen. Yes. Because it's rules. Um, this, this book brought to you by the Midwestern chains that I miss. <laughs> <laughs> and casseroles. And casseroles, yeah. Uh, anyway, Sean and Alicia see them, and then it starts this, like, ticking time bomb. And Corinne's like, oh, God, like, when am I going to get the phone call? Like, what's going to happen? And then, like, she, she's, like, waiting, counting down to be disinvited to Sunday family dinner, and then no one calls. And then yeah. she goes. Alicia is not a cop. Yeah, exactly. And she goes, and it's fine, because Alicia's yeah. not a cop. Exactly. And so – she and Enoch are having all these conversations where they're trying to work out basically like how much of his faith can she accommodate right without ever communicating to him that it's something she's gonna adopt right yeah they have a lot of they have a lot of really fascinating and difficult fights around that and then they also have a lot of very human and extremely horny sex (laughs) Mm -hmm, like you can't mm -hmm. figure out condoms or um like the the spermicide foam and things like that all this kind of stuff very human very relatable um and then ultimately she caves exactly this much which is saying like that she'll marry him right which will then put him back in good standing in the church like they can they can bone down even though she's worldly if um if they're married and so he's very excited and shannon frank is very excited but she's also furious for them she's like you're not just gonna get married in like a registry hall like you deserve a chance to have it be like special. Um, yeah. But it, it can't be at Enoch's church and it can't be at another church. Right. Right. So it is going to be at the registry hall, but then Shannon is like, you're going to come over and like have a, a beautiful party in the conservatory of my girlfriend's parents' house. <laughs> <laughs> it felt, I will say that that part feels so relatable to me. Uh, that that is yes the Shannon being like you no like we're gonna throw you a party and like it's gonna be great and then we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that and that was that was very relatable to me Caitlin a lesbian who wants to throw her friends beautiful parties all the time yeah 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 if you and, ever, and if anyone listening to this, if you ever have an outfit that you're like, I want to have a party where I can wear this, let me know and I will throw you that party. Wow, Kate, thank you for that promise. I, I will. Margaret, that yeah, door is always open for you. Anytime <laughs> you're you. like, God, I've got this great outfit and you, Margaret, have such great outfits. And thank I just you. Don't have a party to wear it to. Let me know and I will make that party happen. Similarly, if you live in the greater Boston area and you're between, I don't know, a size 10 and 14 U.S. women's and you just need like special event clothing, like please come borrow something from my closet. (laughs) (laughs) I have so much good special event clothing and I can only wear it to so many special events, you know, and I guess Marie Kondo would say I should get rid of it, but I absolutely won't do that because it brings you joy. It's still so much joy. joy. It will always spark joy. Um. But they agree to do this. And I also like that, like, Shannon's not just, like, like Shannon still kind of doesn't love what's going on. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. She's like, this church took so much from me. And, like, I'm not going to let them make you do this in a way that sh- makes you feel like you need to be ashamed of it. Yes. That was right? also <laughs> relatable. 
you're going to have a party. I was like, I love this. I also love Shannon in those yes. scenes a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they're so they're excited to get married, but they're sad because they're like, well, we can't invite any of our family because it would be like a, against the rules for them to come to a non-church wedding. But then I cried, by the way. I cried because Shannon secretly invited them and they came. I know. I sobbed. I sobbed when their families were there. Just absolute buckets of tears. And that's also what gave me so much hope, right? Because it was yeah. a sign that like Enoch wasn't the only one who cared more about her than like the dumb rules of their dumb church. Yeah. Yes. And Alicia again classic midwestern so hard when this popped up (laughs) alicia made cream cheese mints which kate i think had for the first time when a fellow midwestern to east coast transplant had them at her baby shower and she was like this is the only thing i wanted was i wanted to make sure we had cream cheese mints and i was like fuck yeah cream cheese mints and kate was like (laughs) what is this and i was like shoveling them into my mouth and i was just like i have one i (laughs) did and they're very good (laughs) I will say, this is a delicacy I only know exists because of Rainbow Rowell books. I've never had one. Oh my god! Okay, okay. But it comes Kate, up in um, it comes up in attachments a lot. Oh yeah, Kate, have a party. I will make cream cheese mints. Uh, Margaret, you wear an outfit. It'll be great. Yeah, sounds great. Would the it theme be a- of the party is the theme of the party is Midwest. I was about ever. to say, Renata, would it be appropriating your culture to make it a Midwest themed party? <laughs> um, no, it would be celebrating my culture. Excellent. Okay. Oh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make Snickers salad. Yes. Wow. That's so scary. This is a scary sentence, but I'm also it's like it's so scary and it's also so exciting. Mm. Okay, I'm menu planning now, but we're almost <laughs> to the end of the book. Alicia made cream cheese mints. I cried. Um, and then, oh God, another like very pure quote from Alicia. I've never been to a wedding with dancing. This is just like in the movies. <laughs> oh, as, I know. As Enoch and Corinne like awkwardly sway while no one else dances because they're not allowed. Like, yeah, baby, it's just like the movies. I love you. <laughs> Anyway, then they have sex again, and then it's Sunday morning, and Corinne, like, lies in bed and waits while Enoch goes to church without her, but, like, she knows he's going to come back to her, and then it just, like, ends. Yeah. I really love this book. I mean, I mostly just, I love Corinne so much as a character. I really believe in her. Um, We didn't even get to talk about how cool her job is. (laughs) Yeah. We can... Uh yeah, she's like a market research analyst. Yeah, like but it, yeah, but it, it's described better in the book. You cut, you just you kind of have to read it because she's yeah. just the best. I just love her and I want to protect her and I want good things for her, <sighs> such that I could come around and believe that Enoch Miller was a good thing for her. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, although I understand that uh, if I were less susceptible to being dignitized, you know, um, <laughs> I might not. I might not want that for her. It's what she wants, and I want her to have what she wants. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, all right. Um, well, why don't we move on to our dramatic readings? Sounds good. Excellent. I and, believe uh, I'm going yeah. first. Yeah, Margaret's up uh, first with some teen Corinne. Okay, this is from early in the book uh, when they are 
playing all of their board games together. And it goes like this. They played. Corinne leaned into Enoch's space to move her pieces. Enoch didn't have to lean into Corinne's space. His arms were so long. He was very good at operation. Big, steady hands. She was very good at Simon. Good short-term memory. He thought it was funny when the blinking lights eventually got too fast for her to keep up. He laughed without ever opening his mouth. He laughed with his eyes, mostly. They both hummed along to The Legend of Zelda. It had a kind of creepy music. They were working on the lyrics. Zelda, my name is Zelda. I am a princess. It drove Japheth crazy. <laughs> Everything drove Japheth crazy. What a twerp. Corinne tried to remind herself that he'd lost his dad, but she wanted to remind him that he still had his own room and a Nintendo. That wouldn't be kind. That wouldn't be loving. It got late. It always got late. It always went too fast. Saturday night, dinner at 5.30, Bible study at 6, and now it was almost midnight. And Corinne would keep playing till Enoch said they were done. Enoch so close to her, their elbows brushed, their shoulders bumped. He laid his hand over Corinne's under the table. Corinne stopped. Everything. The Legend of Zelda music was playing, and under that, the lights were humming, and under that, she wasn't breathing. Enoch was looking at Candyland. His left hand was definitely still on top of Corinne's. His big hand, his sweaty palm. Corinne's palm was pressed into the carpet. She looked down at Clue. She could pull her hand away. It wasn't pinned. She wasn't pinned. He wasn't pinning her. She could pull her hand away. She lifted up two fingers. Through his. He didn't move. He didn't say anything. She didn't say anything. And then she didn't say anything. Her smallest finger wrapped around one of his. And he didn't move. Their hands were under the table. No one could see. Corinne couldn't see. Enoch picked up the Yahtzee club cup with his right hand and rolled the dice. It was almost midnight. They played until 12.15. And that's just the kind of horny shit we're talking about. <laughs> all it was hand-holding. I am swooning. <laughs> you know. Uh, all right. For our next dramatic reading, we're going to jump up to 2005. And Kate will be Enoch and I'll be Corinne um, talking concerts. So you two, you still go to concerts together? Sometimes. <laughs> Less now. More at first. Neither of us was used to being alone. That makes sense. Yeah. It was nice to be somewhere where we wouldn't see anyone from church who might wonder why we were together. Who did you see in concert? Oh, um, Ani DeFranco? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, good choice. I like Ani DeFranco. And the Indigo Girls. <laughs> Corinne giggled. Enoch giggled too. Still flushed. I mean, another great choice. I also love the Indigo Girls. Great. Good. I'm glad to hear it. I like them too. Enoch, did you go cruising for girls with your ex-wife? <laughs> she was still my wife. We were separated. The question stands. She was having a rough time. Sounds like there was a lot of that going around. <laughs> Enoch's shoulders were shaking. He was shaking his head. There were tears in his eyes. Corinne touched his arm for just a second to comfort him, to remind him she was there and that she wasn't judging him. Was that why he was telling her all this? Who could Enoch Miller talk to who wouldn't judge him? 
I don't remember you being this forthcoming. (laughs) Yeah, well, that was probably to both our detriment. I'm sorry, Corinne. I think about it a lot. About being sorry? (laughs) Well, yeah, honestly. And, you know, everything. It wasn't just you there by yourself. I'm sorry for my part in it. For... He didn't finish. She didn't ask him to, and she didn't apologize. Do you want to turn back? Sure. They had less to say to each other on the way back. When they got to the parking lot, Corinne wasn't sure how to say goodbye. There was nothing to thank him for this time. Would you want to go to a concert? What concert? I don't know. Just a concert sometime? With me? Sure. Only lesbian folk singers, though. That's all I'm interested in. Ani DeFranco is bisexual. (laughs) (laughs) I'm rooting for them. I'm rooting for them. It's impossible not to. All All right. right. And I'm going to do our last dramatic reading. The one that involves the word imprint, which was... (laughs) I guess any book that has the word imprint in it could possibly have been written by Stephanie Meyer, according to the internet. Sure. So or here. Anna Paquin. <laughs> <laughs> he seemed a little bewildered. He lifted his arms up so Corinne could pull his shirt off. She got it off and sat back to look at him, his t-shirt clutched in her hand. Enoch was tremendous. <laughs> she knew he'd be tremendous. She knew his shoulders were as broad as a barn door, that his arms were thick and heavy. She knew about his rib cage. She'd struggled to get her arms around it. But she didn't know about the freckles along his shoulders or the hair on his chest and belly. She thought about how he'd felt on top of her at 18, so much heavier than he looked, like he had a lead core. <laughs> Corinne was used to being wanted by her past boyfriends. She'd been turned on by the fact that they were turned on by her. She'd like their bodies in a sort of abstract way, as part of the larger whole. Mostly, during sex, they'd wanted to see Corinne and touch Corinne, and that was good for her. She liked that dynamic. But Enoch had always been different. Maybe she'd imprinted on him. No, really, she thought that she probably had. That she'd wanted him so profoundly and at such a young age, he'd become the only person she'd ever properly desire. She just wanted to look at him. Well, she did want to touch him eventually, but for now, just looking at him made her weak and floppy, made her tongue hang forward and stick to the roof of her mouth. She liked all his muscles. She liked all his fat, the way it looked like he was made of steel and then wrapped in something soft. She liked his preposterous shoulders. Enoch's shoulders were so wide, they made his head look small. His head would have to be an alarming size to match those shoulders. Corinne sucked her bottom look between her teeth and smiled at him. So, yeah, the word imprint clearly only ever used by Stephanie Meyer. Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely exactly how Stephanie Meyer writes her her intimate scenes. Yeah, 100%. Identical. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just funny just, to me as a, per- a person who uses the phrase imprinted on like a baby duck, like not infrequently, to uh-huh. think that Stephanie Meyer has that scene. Like a trademark that word. Yeah. Mm-mm. Like we've imprinted the word imprinted on Stephanie Meyer. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. 
All right. Well, let's move on to reader's advisory to um, recommend some books to read instead of or in addition to Corinne. And honestly, in addition to Corinne, unless you can't handle straight love. Yeah. Or need or, plot, you know? Or if you <laughs> need plot, like or that. if you have any kind of like lingering church trauma, it might not be the best for you. Or maybe yeah, it'll, be, it'll, maybe either it'll be, be cathartic. The best I don't know. For you or hard, but I think you'll know pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will say this as as the one among us who did not necessarily enjoy this book, if you're like curious about it, if all of like the chatter about who the author could be and, you know, all the mystery and everything brought it up on your radar and you were like, huh, maybe like I'll read this and see if I can figure out who it is. Like, it's not not worth your time. You know, it's yeah, not like exactly. it's not bad. You're not gonna be mad that you read it. Yeah. Sorry, that's my high endorsement as a person. <laughs> I do think if you like this, you probably would like Rainbow Rowell's books. Just saying. Just saying. You know, as someone who likes this and Rainbow Rowell's books I definitely see your point. <laughs> Jody Pico referred to this as a modern day Romeo and Juliet. And sort of, sort of Jody. Kind of Jody. Um, but along those lines, I wanted to recommend Teach the Torches to Burn by Caleb Rorig. Rorig? Mm-hmm. Let me just like blur more letters out of it. <laughs> Caleb R. <laughs> Which is another one in the YA Classics remix series. It's his queer Romeo and Juliet remix. So if you if you wanted something that was like Romeo and Juliet, but you wanted something that was gayer than Corinne, ch- check out that one. I haven't read that one, but I have read his horror books, and I do enjoy his horror books. So Clutch. Um, um, and I completely agree with whoever put Flying Solo in here. Oh, like- yeah, I yeah other books by my friends but yeah flying solo by linda holmes is i also think a really great one because it is a similar thing where it's sort of like a woman figuring out how to make her own life yeah i'm also uh probably like educated by tara westover like some other like i feel like another reader's advisory direction to go would be like memoirs of women leaving fundamentalist churches church 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 oh yeah yeah, I can throw a couple. I'll, I'll throw a couple of those and a couple of more queer books up on the website. I didn't <laughs> do my homework for this part. I'm sorry, friends. It's okay. okay. I'm, I'm gonna come I over and never do my homework. So I'm gonna apply olive oil to you. Oh no! <laughs> can you apply <laughs> that, it to my elbows? I'm really having trouble moisturizing yeah. them. <laughs> Uh, but we were talking about this before we started recording. I yesterday I was putting olive oil on my cuticles as a, a treatment for them, and then Duarte was like, "Hello, mother!" And now there's olive oil <laughs> all over my cat, which the internet says is fine. The internet says it's fine. I looked it up, so I was like, "All right, I'll just leave this." But now he is—he looks like a rescued baby animal from an oil slick. <laughs> He's just—it's—it's it's so silly. Anyway, that's that's what Dory's up to. Anyway, we'll have the whole list. It's uh, some other ones we didn't talk about up on our website, worstbestsellers.com. And now it's time for the Rock Paper Snicks, where Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Margaret can choose which most enhances the book, or she can choose paper, which just leave the book as is. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Um, so if Dwayne The Rock Johnson were in this book, I think that he would be uh, someone who Corinne met in Boston, like one of her college friends or like early work friends. Uh, and we just get like a really cool montage of him like realizing that she didn't really have a lot of pop culture references and helping her discover all of like the music and pop culture and movies and things that she missed while she was in the church. Uh, it would just be like a little lighthearted uh you know scene of of that and yeah beautiful um if wolverine were in this book i think he would be one of sean and alicia's neighbors and whenever alicia needed help opening cans of biscuit joe he would just come over and do it with his claws and then um, maybe she would invite him over for taco ring and he would eat that with his claws as well okay all right um these are both really compelling options and I like how little they change the fundamental quality of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to see Alicia interact with Wolverine. So I am going to go for Snicked. But Rock really gave a strong showing and uh, this wasn't an easy decision. I appreciate that. Yeah. Th- thanks for playing. Um, Wolverine, you know, and then Wolverine would get invited to cards and he would invite the Rock over too. So they would all get in the mix. Great. Yeah. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Um, okay, well, now it's now it's time for Duarte's Corner, and my oily boy will weigh in. <laughs> Duarte, I will say that is a compelling point. When Corinne was, like, single lady in Boston, she should have had a cat. Yeah. She should have. It's true. It's one, one piece of constructive feedback. Uh, all right, do any humans have any closing thoughts? I love this book. I really hope you guys read it. That's all. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's not written by Stephanie Meyer. It's not, it's not written, written by, by Stephanie, Stephanie Meyer. Meyer. Uh, okay. If you want to come talk to us and tell us who you think wrote it, you can find us on um, Facebook and Instagram at Worst Bestseller Spelled Normally. We're on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S because the S was forbidden by the church. <laughs> You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, all of the places where you subscribe to podcasts. And if you do subscribe, take a moment to rate and review. If you rate and review, you'll move us up on the charts a little bit and make it easier for new people to find us. If you don't rate and review, you will be shunned from our church. I'm sorry to say. Oh, no. Tough but fair. We also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash worst bestsellers. Patreon is a service where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like keep our equipment up to date and pay for our web hosting. And in return, there are all sorts of perks that you can get like a new, uh, we don't have a newsletter anymore, like a monthly special podcast where we talk about what we've been into lately and postcards and stickers in the mail. Uh, There's also a discount on merch and we do have merch available for everyone that you can find by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on merch. You can find all sorts of designs there of our podcasts that you can wear on your body. And finally, uh, we do have a Discord server also linked at worstbestsellers.com where you can come and join all the other listeners of the show to chat about books you've read, things that you're watching. It's almost time for New Riverdale. And you know you want to talk to the Worst Bestsellers listeners about Riverdale. And, you do. Uh, you know, it'll be fun. Uh, can't wait for more Riverdale. Uh, if you want to come talk to me personally about Riverdale, I'm at Renata Snacks. Uh, if you want to come talk to me personally about things that aren't Riverdale, because I only listen to the Renata recaps of Riverdale, you can find <laughs> me on the internet at 14 across. 
And Margaret, where can people find you? They can find me at Mrs. Friday Next on most online platforms, but I feel like most often these days Instagram, which is dark, but I mean, same. Twitter so. sucks. <laughs> how it goes. That's how it goes. Um, and as mentioned before, two bossy dames, etc. Correct. Correct. Two bossy dames. That's Substack.com. Yes. And you, I, once again, you can find all those links at WordPressSellers.com. And we'll be back in two weeks with Beauty Fades, Dumb is Forever by Judge Judith Scheinlin. <laughs> <laughs> Should be fun. Yes. Uh, Margaret, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for convincing me to read this lovely book in the first place. I'm so glad that I and the idiots who thought it was written by Stephanie Meyer <laughs> convinced you to read it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, bye. 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 Uh-oh, here comes Duarte. Do not knock my shit over. It's not your time yet, Duarte. <laughs> oh. Oh, my oily boy.